I really like I talk a lot about words. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you, you find a partner and then you build life together. And certainly that's true, right? You having kids, building a legacy, you are building something in a sense. But if that's the language you use, that a relationship is purposeful to build life together, well, then it's seemingly it's like everything before that is not you're not building life. You're in this holding pattern. You're in a waiting room and you need another person to build life with. If building is the purpose, you need another person. And I think the better word is do life with. Let's go! Welcome to Becoming an Epic Being with your host, Sukoon. As an advocate of conscious living, my mission is to help you young adults navigate through the confronting issues of your generation, question conventional beliefs, and choose authenticity, because that is where your true joy lies. Each week, I dive into raw conversations with inspiring guests who have undergone big shifts and are here to offer you the tools to do the same. So get ready to step up your game and jump on the ride as you begin the journey towards the next stage of your self-evolution. All right, guys, we're about to dive deep into all things love and relationships and how to incorporate mindfulness into this super important area of your life. And I'm so psyched to be having this conversation with Case Kenny, who just radiates authenticity in the way he shows up and all that he speaks. In case you aren't familiar with Case on Instagram, he shares some inspiringly raw and relatable nuggets of wisdom that you are bound to fall in love with. He is also the host of his podcast, New Mindset Who Dis, and has written as many as three books. In this episode, you're going to hear all about what it takes to create a purposeful relationship, how you can fill your own void without relying on someone else, and what it really takes to attract your ideal partner, and of course, maintain your best relationship. So whether you're single or already dating, this episode is going to be truly handy for you. Hello. Hi. How are you? Very well. So good to see you and thank you for being here. Sure. You as well. Love your podcast as well, by the way. And of course, all the stuff you put out in the world, including your snippets of wisdom every single day is like so authentic and so raw. Thank and you. very refreshing for what the world needs, given that so much of us are always putting on this facade for some reason or the other. So yeah, just thank you for keeping it so real. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's, you know, that's what I, that's how I live. So it's, you know, how I write and how I speak as well. So yeah, I think it's a, a needed mission, certainly. And you're someone who wears your heart on your sleeve. And like you say, you share your feelings for a living. What inspired you to do all this stuff in the first place? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's basically just, you know, response to the contrast, which would be how many of us lift my, you know, myself formerly, which is not, you know, which is, uh, you know, kind of being closed off or, you know, constantly chasing our tails and in, in some effort that is not personal, that is not compassionate, that is not self-aware, you know, so really my, you know, what I do comes, you know, first and foremost, you know, for myself to encourage mm. myself to, to be that person. But also, you know, to encourage others to to do the same, which really isn't a heavy lift. It's not a, you know, incredibly complicated thing to do. It's just about being honest with yourself, um, which is something we're all incredibly capable of doing, of course. But through one way or another, whether it was our own experiences or the Internet or some kind of conditioning, we've grown pretty distant from that. So, you know, yeah. my desire is to just 
be that person myself, to lead by example, to almost be a hyperbole of that person. When I do say I share my feelings for a living, obviously that's an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's somewhat, it's, I mean, it's somewhat accurate for what I do, but you know, that's what we should be doing as humans in general. And if I can encourage people to do that, I mean, we're all capable of, of doing that and doing it for ourselves. We don't necessarily need to have a platform or a podcast or Agreed. social media, although I think that's great. But, mm. you know, uh, encouraging ourselves to be honest with ourselves, to share our feelings with ourselves at minimum, I think it only serve us. And it's a very simple thing. And it's kind of what I, what I practice and what I preach. And it's great that a lot of people can resonate with it because clearly everyone wants to be more honest with themselves. They want to be surrounded by honest people. And mm. um, I like seeing that. So, you know, I double and triple down on it. Love that. And like I said, thank you for showing up the way you do. It's really useful for us as well to be at the receiving end of your wisdom. And what is the one thing that you had to unlearn that really accelerated your growth? Oh, man. I mean, I like the word unlearn a lot. I like the word unbecome mm -hmm. a lot because I think in, in many ways, the, the art of becoming your best self or whatever that means really mm -hmm. is a, an art of unlearning and unbecoming because really that's what life mm -hmm. is. Life is about you know, we have a certain gauge for fundamental truths. Like we know right from wrong. We, we, we know when we're being honest with ourselves and we know when we're not, but life has this way of, you know, introducing a lot of noise into our lives. Yeah. And, um, you know, we spend a lot of our younger years adopting things aren't true that aren't true to us. And so I think we really, it's our job in our, you know, mid twenties and on to, unlearn all that stuff, <laughs> literally just to unlearn it. I, I wrote a book called That's Bold of You. And one of the um, opening chapters is about um, mimetic theory, which is the idea that very little in life uh, is truly in a vacuum uh, has been decided by us for us. It's likely been borrowed in some sense. The idea of social conditioning, of course, is, is a rampant force in life. And, you know, you know, for me, it's been an art of unlearning so many things, I think, to answer your question specifically, it would probably be, you know, unlearning, uh, you know, cringing at myself or cringing at other people um, when, you know, being vulnerable in a sense. So mm -hmm. I think that's something that we all face. I face it a little bit more palpably in the form of art and creation and having an audience. But I think we, we generally talk ourselves out of many things in life because we're afraid it's cringy. Being honest is cringy. Being vulnerable yeah. is cringy. Being to this, to that is cringy. So that's something I certainly had to get over. And I think it's one of the more powerful things that you could adopt in life. An idea of being cringe, but free is kind of a mantra yeah, exactly. that I gravitate towards. I've heard you say that I'm cringe, but at least I'm free. And that just is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's liberating, yeah, I'm sure. It's, I mean, it's literally cringe, but free. I mean, the goal should be free freedom in life yeah so we're on this hedonic treadmill we're always looking for the next big thing to make us happy like you know i'll be happy when i get the job i'll be happy when i find the next partner i'll be happy when i get married and it goes on and on yeah. and there's this constant reliance on someone else to fill that void within us would you agree with that definitely yeah so with that like how can people find you know quote unquote wholeness within themselves without relying on someone else to make them do that for them yeah, I mean, I, I could talk for days about that, whether it's in the context of relationships or, yeah. you know, career. Which is or your whatnot. forte, right? You talk a lot about dating and relationships and so on. Yeah, yeah I do. I do talk yeah. a lot about relationships. It would honestly, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because it wouldn't be the first thing that I would choose to talk about. Like, you know, if, if I had it my way and I could only talk about exactly what I want to talk about, I probably wouldn't talk a lot about relationships. Um, really? But 
yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoy talking about it. And the reason I do it, of course, is it's it's the most immediate entry point that people can relate to the most when it comes to these topics that can be a bit ambiguous and we need context for them. Yeah, That's why I do it. I did the podcast for quite some time without ever talking about relationships um, because I don't consider myself to be a, a relationship expert by any means. So um, I, I come back to relationships a lot because it's so relatable. It's filled with so much friction exactly. that it makes the ideas that I talk about you know, that much more clear. Uh, hmm. Just a random anecdote for you there. Um, so I think uh, you know, for me... I talk a lot about relationships, talk a lot about sense of self. I mean, I think we need to come back to the idea of like, what is the purpose of a relationship? That's something that I find a lot of people don't have a good answer for. And it doesn't make anyone a bad person. It's just it's just been beaten to our heads forever that, oh, you, you have a partner and then you go out and you live life. You go build a life together. And I certainly think that's a fundamental part of being human. But there's a step before that that makes the relationship purposeful. And if we skip that step, then everything you just talked about, it's very true. So really the thing that I come back to is like, the purpose of a relationship is a sense of moreness. It's a sense mm -hmm. of to amplify something that you've already created and done and realized for yourself. That is the purpose of a relationship. The purpose of a relationship is not to give you that thing. I really like, I talk a lot about words. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you, you find a partner and then you build life together. And certainly that's true, right? You Having kids, building a legacy, you are building something in a sense. But if that's the language you use, that a relationship is purposeful to build life together, well, then it's seemingly, it's like everything before that is not, you're not building life. You're in this holding pattern, you're in a waiting room and you need another person to build life with. If building is the purpose, you need another person. And I think the better word that I was on Rachel Hollis's podcast that she put in my brain is do life with. You find someone to do yeah. life with. That is, you've spent all these years doing your own thing, finding your own self, and someone comes along and they've also done the same thing. And together, you're amplifying that sense of happiness, sense of self, sense of fulfillment together. That is the purpose of another person is to come along and amplify. Amplify meaning you've already yeah. had something that is then built and raised up. So um, I really think it's important that, you know, we try our best because it's not it's not easy. We try our best to not give in to all this pressure that we feel, whether it's pressure from our parents, pressure from social media, pressure from ourselves to not mm. only find purpose in a relationship. And a lot of it comes down to the words we use, build versus do. I think a lot of it comes down to asking ourselves the question, why do I even want to be in a relationship? It can't exactly. be in response to fear. It can't be in response to loneliness. Um, it, ha it has to be more personal. It has to be more personal. It has to be, here's a moreness that I can get out of life with another person because of all the things that I've done prior. Um, so yeah, I, I could talk a lot about that, but I, I think that's really important um, to approach it from a really introspective uh, perspective as opposed to just, mm. oh, that's just what you do. Um, it's, a small, it's a small thing, I suppose, but uh, it, it goes a long way. I couldn't agree more. And when people are in this rush of like, you know, just ticking a checkbox that I found someone, they often don't know what exactly it is that they're looking for. And that's where they make the mistake because, I mean, sure, they land up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but then they're like, now what? And then, of course, reality hits and it may not even be what they're looking for. So I know this is a really subjective question because it, of course, varies across each person. But what do you think are like some non-negotiable traits that people should look out for in their partners? 
Well, I think the only way to find that out is I did an episode recently about loneliness. Again, the idea oh. that you shouldn't, you know, a relationship's purpose is not to fill a void. Certainly, it's mm -hmm. going to, right? If you're lonely, that's fine. <laughs> Someone comes alone and you're along and you're not lonely. That's fine, of course. There's a quote that I referenced from author um, Mandy Hale, and she said that um, until you're comfortable being alone, you'll never know if you're choosing someone out of loneliness or out of love. When you're lonely, when you're single is how you figure out what you want in a partner. That's, the, that's how you figure it out. And you figure it out by dating, but you figure it out by having a sense of self. So I think that's entirely up to other people, yeah. of course. You know, what I want in a partner does not necessarily reflect what someone else needs in a partner. And I think that's the gift of life. And I think that's actually a really important point because the internet's obsessed with rules, right? Exactly. Do this, don't do that, wait this amount of days, say this. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Who am I to say rules aren't rules? But if we're always looking to other people to tell us what's right, then we get even further in trouble because we end up in a relationship that's not true mm -hmm. to us. So it becomes this, this whole cycle again. I think there's certain fundamentals that uh, we deserve. I think a good place to start is what do I offer a partner? Like very specifically, not like loyalty and things like that. But like, what is something that I lead with that I purposely try to offer a partner? Well, let's for one, decide that you deserve that in return. Reciprocity is the name of the game. So if you mm -hmm. offer these things, you deserve them in return. And then there's, you know, fundamentals like understanding. Of course, you deserve to be understood. What does understanding actually look like in your life? Things like that. I mean, I think it's, it's funny how the, the bar has gotten so low in life that when someone comes across someone who's nice and yeah. funny and supportive, That's they're like, it. oh my gosh, all the fundamentals. Yeah. I was like, those... I, those those are beyond fundamentals. Those are human yeah. qualities that we should never, ever not require in another human, regardless of the relationship. So I think yeah, we need a, a you know splash of cold water on our face to to not be at that lowest bar, um, and then just be honest about what we offer, what we deserve in return, and then the only way to to know the like the specifics from there is what do you, what have your past relationships taught you. Right, the purpose of past relationships. So often we put the love, the label of like failed love. That if you didn't end up, if you're not marrying someone, it's failed love. No, the purpose is so that you know exactly what you want now. Likely through the process of experiencing what you don't want. So take those lessons with you, and that becomes the fodder for saying, "Here's a non-negotiable in my future partner." So I think it's it's a mix of like past, present, and and then future. Yeah, and this is also where you talk about how to manifest your ideal partner, right? By getting clear on what you want and doing your own work, I guess. Yeah, I mean, manifestation is one of those topics that has lost a little bit of its meaning, right? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I wake yeah. up in the morning and I, I manifest and I, and I go about my day. I was like, well, what, what exactly does that mean? And I respect everyone's definition of manifesting. You know, some people are overly spiritual and that's a very important part of their process about getting centered and opening themselves to attract things in life. Um, I tend to be a more practical person, very yeah. action oriented. What I do results, what I do results, so on and so forth. However, the idea of manifestation is, is something that I think a lot about. And, and I do gravitate towards an idea that you can't tell yourself one story and then expect a different reality to come to you. Like logically, it just doesn't compute. If I tell myself all women are crazy, no woman is, um, you know, on my level, right? It's just something crazy like that. How do I then 
also in my reality expect to say, well, I deserve a loving woman who's supportive and down to earth. Yeah. Those two things can't coexist if I'm telling myself one story and then I expect to walk out my door here in Miami and have another reality. It, it doesn't compute like that. We, and we can't think like that. So the idea of manifestation for me is just bridging the gaps between the belief, the story we tell ourselves and the reality we expect to experience. That is manifesting um, be, because for that. the practical reason, your actions, your observations follow from that. And if you're always telling yourself one story, you expect a different reality, the actions and the observations between those are going to be very confusing. It's going to, there's going to be very little clarity. Um, so we just need to bridge that gap. To me, that's manifesting. That's so true. And how do you think people can become more aware of their own blind spots in their thinking and become more conscious of perhaps stuff that's in the subconscious, right? Like the stuff that they say they want, but like they just act in the exact opposite way. I mean, practically, I would say journal. I'm a big fan of journaling because right. when you're journaling, ideally, you're faced with one question with no judgment, humility, no ego, and you're sitting down and you're answering that question. And hopefully in that moment, with a light on your face, you're looking in the mirror, you can unearth a little bit of your hypocrisy which I think is the, the ultimate gift is to say things like, I'm wrong, I'm being a mm. hypocrite. Why do I say one thing and do another? That's the ultimate gift. The more often you can do that to yourself and say that to yourself, the more often you're going to evolve through that and into whatever outcome you're looking for. Um, so really, I, I think journaling is a great, great part. You know, and of course, like therapy and things like that. But I think journaling is a great way for you to get very real with yourself in a context where it's easier to not be real, it's easier to blame other people than it is to say, Always. okay, maybe, I, maybe <laughs> I've been a bit unfair. Yeah, of course. We, I mean, that's, that's human 101. We love blaming. Yeah. We love, I don't want to say playing victim necessarily, but we like, we like putting the onus on other people. We like being wronged um, because it's easier. It's easier to say right versus wrong, you know, villain versus hero than it is to say, okay, yeah. well, maybe I've played a small but substantial role in my own frustration and let's fix that. A hundred percent. I just think that being introspective serves you far better and just goes a long way. And you know how we keep hearing the saying that relationships take work? What exactly is this work all about? <laughs> well, the boring answer is communication. And it's funny yeah. how the boring answers are always the right answers. I mean, I'm 35. <laughs> if I were to hear that answer in my 20s, I would be like, shut up. That's a boring, Wait, freaking all, old, old person answer. Yep. Do you agree with that, that they take work, relationships? Yeah, of course. Okay. Do. It, all right. I don't believe it in the sense of like, relationships have ups and downs. Everyone's going to cheat on each other and you need to work <laughs> through it. Not that kind of work. I'm talking Thank about God. the communication type work. Like, yeah. I talk a lot about communication because again, mm. I think it's, it's such a funny topic because again, it, yeah. it's, it's boring. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I got, I got it, I got it, I got it. communication call. <laughs> that really is the crux of everything. Not just yeah. relationships. My girlfriend makes fun of me because I'm a psychopath about communicating and, and everything in wow. business. I'm always going on about how the one thing you can control is, in business is communicating, responding to emails properly, doing all these things. And, and, and I'm, I'm literally a crazy person. Uh, in well, relationships, though, it's, it's the crux of everything, particularly from mm. the perspective of We've gotten a little delulu, as they say, when it comes to the idea of expecting people to know what we want, how we feel, what we need to hear, oh, so on yes. and so forth. We think that 
our person, whether they're your soulmate or not, we think that when you finally found your person, that it's going to just be easy street. They're going to know exactly how you feel. They're going to know exactly what you need. They're going to know exactly mm. what you want to hear to feel loved. <laughs> and I don't know where that comes from, but of course not. Yeah. Like your your person is going to have a leg up for sure, but no one knows how you want to be treated exactly. No one knows the the magic words that make you feel appreciated. No one does. And we've, I think, social media and media in general has perhaps played a role in that, in that we think that romance is when you just know. They should just know that. And we think it's not romantic to have to tell them that because that means, oh, well, now they're just doing what I told them to do. We've got the whole thing messed up. And I, you know, so for me, I try to flip it. And I, I think the most romantic thing in the world is to say, hey, by the way, it really makes me feel loved when you say this. And then that person goes and does it. The fact that they do it is a sign that they're listening. They want to make you feel loved and they do it consistently from there. You don't have to tell them again that what is more romantic than that. But for some reason, we've got it. We've got it twisted where we think that that's not true. So, yeah, I think communication is underpins everything from uh, business to relationships yeah. to, to literally how you communicate with yourself. Um, the, you know, the words we use are, are everything. That hits deep. Well, you're someone who seems to have cracked that code of communication and vulnerability, which I think is so important, especially in the context of dating and relationships, because we aren't exactly taught how to express our feelings and what we need. And that is where the main work lies, because when we don't do this stuff, then that's where resentment start to creep in. And it's what breaks relationships and fall apart. But anyway, this might be a slightly controversial question and you don't have to answer if you aren't comfortable, but what are your views on this rise in feminism? What are my views on feminism? I, I, mean, I think it's great, of course. I think the, the, the definition of feminism, of course, is fantastic, which I think at its core is you know, uh, equality um, for the sexes and equality for women. I, I would be a crazy person if I didn't advocate for that in, in all sectors and areas of life. Um, if you spend any time on the internet, of course, you do know that it's, you know, it's taken different forms. And I think perhaps yeah. the form of feminism that I'm not a huge fan of is the one that requires the tearing down of men to advocate for women. Exactly. Um, I, but I would say that for, for any area of life, if we're trying to advocate for a, a certain group of people who have maybe been disenfranchised in some way, I think there's, of course, ways to do that that doesn't require the tearing down or villainizing of other groups, right? I think we could just focus our efforts on rising that tide um, in that sense. And that's all I would say from there, because I think the topic gets very complicated with the internet and various movements and the ways that certain groups have co-opted the word and, you know, words are thrown around. What does feminism mean? If it means equality of of sexes, of of course, I'm an advocate. No, I basically asked more from the perspective of it might have caused or might be causing a slight imbalance in relationships. Do you have any view on that at all? Like, you know, as some things men feel pride in doing by nature of nature. Yeah. And now women are just like, I will do this. I will do that. And just yeah. like, calm down. Sometimes just calm the F down. You know what I mean? I agree. I mean, I think, a lot, I think it gets challenging because everyone's got ego in, at play. Yeah. When you have yes. women who you know, identify as... Fa- when women who identify as feminists and a man comes along and is like, I want to order for you and I want to open the door for you and I want to plan all our dates because he thinks that's, he think that's yeah. what you do. That's chivalry. Yeah. And she's like, well, screw you. I don't need you to do that. 
it, we're, we just got, we got combating egos. No one's wrong, but no one's right either. So I, there's no good answer here because we're, we're yeah. all, yeah, we're I'm all just, humans and we're always of course yeah, going to bring yeah. ego to the table. So I think we get in trouble in that sense. And we just need to, you know, be more self-aware of how our actions might be interpreted, why we're doing the action in the first place yeah. and communicate it don't mm-hmm. internalize it like we can't back to the earlier conversation like we build resentment whether it's in the context of feminism or not we mm-hmm. we internalize a lot of our frustration when we internalize it that is when we don't communicate it when we don't ask for clarity we i did an episode yesterday on how it's human nature to fill in the blanks in our lives with stories that we carry around with us those are stories from our past mm-hmm. those are stories from our past pain, hurt, frustration, everything. Yeah. And we look to other people and we say, well, you're kind of like that. So I'm just going to fill in the blank and assume that you're, you know, you hate women or something crazy like that. And of course it, it might, there might be very little evidence to support that, but we love filling in the blanks. The better option of course would be to pause, to step back, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with other people and spend more time doing that as opposed to filling in the blanks based on the past and not really allowing for, you know, uh, something <laughs> redeeming in the present. Absolutely. And I really like how you mentioned about not internalizing because that is something that really contributes to conflict. Like we're constantly making meanings out of things and yeah, like our minds are meaning-making machines. So it's really important to be mindful of internalizations. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think resentment, which is the result yeah. of what you just described, is the, the killer of any relationship. There's a guy, yeah. um, ba 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 John, oh man, uh, John Cartman. Is that his name? There's this, there's this uh, social scientist who talks about what he refers to as the four horsemen, oh, yes. which is John like, Cartman, yeah, uh, yeah. Cartman, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is basically the signs that a relationship is going to fail. And he talks about communication styles. Um, I'm blanking on them, but they're like contempt and criticism and all these different ways that we communicate. And what they all have in common is that we have an issue. It's maybe a repeated issue. And instead of addressing it, instead of finding clarity in the immediate, we just, we put it under the surface, push it down further and further. And that's always going to become resentment. And resentment is what fills in those blanks for us. Resentment is where you start instead of saying, Hey, those dirty dishes, um, you know, I don't like that. It becomes a story of, you leave so dirty true. dishes out because you think you're better than me or you th- you do this because yeah. you don't love me. It becomes these stories that kind of are a little unhinged mm. when we don't you know speak to them directly and ask for feedback. So yeah, I mean, I think resentment yeah. is is the net of a lot of things that we're talking about here, namely lack That's of right. awareness and lack of communication. Where do you think one draws a line between self-reliance and codependency? Where do we draw the line? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think independence as a topic should be something you strive for at all points in your life. I think mm-hmm. it's one of the, the most important aspects of life, of a relationship. Um, you know, codependency is probably something better for a therapist to break down on why and where it comes from. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, things like our love languages and our, our uh, yeah. love, our attachment styles and things like that. As a as a topic, though, I think the right person should make you feel more independent. Namely, the right person should make you feel less codependent. And that's not to say that you can't be in a relationship and still have codependent tendencies and it's, have it not be a healthy relationship. I just think there's something actually called the the a dependency paradox, which is something that plays out in, in childhood, which says that the more 
comfortable and reliable the relationship between a child and a caregiver called a, a mother and a child, yeah, for instance, yeah. the more independent the child is encouraged to be, right? Because they know that my mom's going to love me no matter what. So I can take a first mm. step and fall on my face and she'll be there. I can go and hang out with friends and do something irresponsible because I know I'll be loved regardless. And there's an element there that you don't want to take it too far, but it's the idea of the more dependent you are, the more independent you're encouraged to be. I think mm -hmm. to an extent, the idea of that is exactly how an adult mature relationship should p play out. The fact that you know that you love each other regardless, that you communicate everything, that you hide nothing, you don't allow resentment to become a force in your life, that you should be encouraged to be independent within the context of a relationship. Not only because <laughs> you need purpose outside of your partner in life, but also because it's, it's a great sign of a healthy relationship. I, to our other conversation, we've got things backwards again. We see oh, he wants to do something on his own. She wants to go do something on her own. That must mean the relationship is failing. To me, I think it should yeah. be the opposite, depending on the context, of course. But I think that independence is, is something that you should always, always, always strive for. And it's a good way to look at your relationship. If you're feeling that you can't be independent, is it because of you? Is it because of them? Is it because of your dynamic? Where is that coming from? I'd say evaluate that. But it can get a bit unhealthy when it becomes about I don't need you at all. Like I'm okay on my own. That's like covering up for something else. Yeah. You know, that's the ego game playing again. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, what is that? Uh, dismissive or avoidant attachment styles. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I think yeah. there's, you know, it's easy so to prescribe styles. meaning to things like that online, but I mean, that's something to unpack of where that's coming from. Why? Um, I think a lot of people struggle with that. I think that would fall into that category, certainly, because it's easier to be alone sometimes than it is to be in a relationship. It's easier to close yourself off than it is to put yourself in a vulnerable context. So, yeah, I think the line is for you to decide, but it's going to require a good amount of, um, you know, self-discovery yeah. and, and understanding where it's coming from. Because it doesn't come out of nowhere. Like, we're not dismissive or avoidant or anxious attachment styles just because we woke up on Tuesday, like these are things that have come about in our lives through likely through adolescence and then mm -hmm. have been, uh, you know, nurtured in an unhealthy way mm -hmm. through past relationships. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot to break down. It's true. Now, I obviously don't know your case, but from whatever I see of you online, it seems like you have like a very healthy sense of detachment. Like you go all in, but you aren't as attached <laughs> to the outcomes. Would that be true? Uh, I would say so. Yeah, I think that's a like pretty good observation. Work as well, like how you started off in social, you blew up, and you just like, yeah, whatever, it's cool. I do this for a living; it's fine. Like, there's no attachment <laughs> yeah. to it. It's really cool. Like, it's very inspiring. I gotta say. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I had a whole career before all this, so like, yeah. I've realized, you know, any career of of any kind is going to be ups and down, massive ups and downs, and if mm. you're you know, if you're living by the the cheers, you're going to die by the booze, as they say, and I don't want to play that game. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't want to play the game where I'm, I'm, you know, living by social media for one or, or yes. living by a good episode or a bad episode. Like, you know, a lot goes on behind the scenes that allows me to have that, that yeah. uh, mindset, namely I, sure. I diversify how I make money. I, I diversify what I do. I don't have all my eggs in one basket that allows me to have that kind of, you know, laissez-faire attitude when it comes to certain things. But yeah, I mean, I, I just have realized that, you know, the, the goal of working for yourself, the goal of doing something creative is, in a sense, to not allow someone to control you. And if you just swap a boss for the internet, what, what was the point of that? What was the point of all that work, you know? So, Man, I love how you, know. you said that. Hit the nail on the head, honestly. 
Yeah. So like, I mean, the reason why most people don't even reach the level that you've reached is because rather than showing up to fully serve, you know, they're more interested in how many likes they're getting and how many followers they're getting. And of course, the comparison trap and that just holds them back. Whereas someone like you, who's just like, you know, gone full in and, you know, really serves from a space of your genuineness and look, look where it's got you. So I think that's a real shift in perspective that people need to see and just operate from that space and not the space of, oh, I need this to happen or I need that to happen with whatever timeline, you know? Yeah. Yeah, easier said than done. Like I, I all the time, I'm like, yeah, oh, if only, or like, but yeah, I mean, that's ex- exactly it. I mean, we've got to let go of these preconceived milestones or follower counts or book sales. You know, I, I like doing well. I like nice things. I like selling mm-hmm. books. Of course, of course. Of course. And I like people telling me that I, I give them good advice. Of course, human, human 101. But, you know, that is a never ending pursuit that, you know, I talked to some of my friends who, you know, have, 100 million download podcasts or 10 million followers. It's the same thing. It's the same thing at every single level. And if that's the case, why am I going to fight against it here? If I'm going to fight against it then too, I may as well just just know that I put in the work, that I'm I'm doing what I say I'm going to do. I do it consistently. I've been 500 episodes, thousands of posts. I've written every single day for a decade. That That's all I need to do. I need to control what I can control. And uh, if it doesn't work, then we hit the strategy board and we figure out what will work. But in the meantime, I'm not going to work. And also I'm 35, I'm aging up. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to worry about some of these silly little things. We'll let yeah, the trivial things of life get caught that. up in, don't we? Yeah, all the trivial things yeah, of very, life. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And because you're so big on mindfulness, what brings you peace personally? Ooh, what brings me peace personally? Um, well, I, I certainly would say it's the, it's the the process. Like I find a lot of peace in writing and communicating. <laughs> Maybe that's that's why I, I eagerly you know talk about it. It brings me peace to kind of empty the proverbial emotion bank and uh, you know hit a balance of zero and then rebuild it and do it again. Like that, it brings me peace to do that. Um, wow. You know, being creative, I think, is what I'm called to do. I think a big purpose of life is building things, mm. whether that's building relationships or building businesses. I think for me, mm. it's just it's building ideas. It's having an idea starting from zero and building from it. Like that brings me a lot of fulfillment. And I think fulfillment mm. is, is synonymous with peace in a sense. I don't think yeah. peace is always just like solitude and calm and, you know, things like that. I think peace can take different forms. And for me, peace is, is fulfillment and fulfillment of purpose as well. So my ability to do that certainly aids in that. Ditto. I love that. All right. Very curious to hear of you on. How would you describe an epic being? Ooh, it was a good follow-up question. Um, I think it's someone who, I don't know. I think it's someone who decides what right is for them. I have this quote that I always repeat a lot. It's just that there's no right way to live your life, but there's a wrong way. And the wrong way is to think that there's a right way. Namely, you know, living, living in your life, always yeah. copying other people's right ways yeah. and only thinking that their timeline and their sense of self and their success and their partnership is something that you need to emulate. So I think a, an epic being is someone who is inspired by other people, of course, um, has a sense of, uh, you know, a, a bank of inspiration. But at the end of the day, what they deem to be right for them is what they deem to be right for them. They have gone out and lived their life and sought out the experiences that taught them that they're not just copying and pasting. I think that is, that is what leads to an epic life and 
behind that would be, you know, someone that I would, I would say is an epic being for sure. Man, that's so brilliant. Wow. That's amazing. Love that. And where would you like people who don't know about you to find you? I mean, what's the easiest way? I would just say Instagram, case.kenny. I link everything there. I, all my books and everything are linked there. So, you know, see what, see what I stand for. And if it interests you, you could get a book, get a journal, listen to the pod. 100%. And that's the wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in. If this conversation resonated, help spread the value by sharing with a friend and feel free to share your thoughts and comments on Instagram at epic.beings. Also, to stay up to date with weekly episodes, you may want to hit subscribe. Until next time, stay epic.